to read a different text with you this morning. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 33. And on that day, some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up an offspring to his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third down to the seventh. And last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Let's pray. Our Father in God, what a joyous day this has been already. And Father, we just thank you that around the world today, there are those that are celebrating and rejoicing in the event of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, how grateful we are. How thankful that we can celebrate this. And we pray this morning that you'd help us as we come to this text to be available for the Spirit of God to teach and instruct. There are some probably here today for the first time. There are some just visiting, and Father, others who have come on a regular basis. And yet, Father, we all need to hear from you. Father, before us is a central issue in every man, woman, boy, and girl's life. The concept and the thought of a resurrection. And we pray, Father, and ask that you'd help us to set everything else aside the Spirit of God might be able to accomplish his work, that some might come to trust in Christ, that others would just, who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, rejoice and go forth, not just speaking of the resurrection on Easter, but, Father, on a regular basis, for we serve a risen Savior. And might we not be ashamed of the gospel as we go forth, and might we preach it with boldness. Commit our study of the Word of God with thanksgiving, and in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you can see from your bulletin, this morning's message is entitled, The Living God is the God of the Living. We here at Fellowship have had a Good Friday service recently. And for those who are with us, you know, and even if you were not, you will realize, as I will state it, that when we left off Friday night, we left off with the Lord Jesus Christ having been crucified in accordance with the scriptures. And actually, as we closed that service, we repeated a passage that was part of your responsive reading. 
and we noted that the grave of the Lord Jesus Christ was guarded. And we need to understand that the soldiers' lives were on the spot. If anyone was able to come out of that grave, the soldiers would lose their life. They had sealed it. They had put a guard there, and it was protected. Those who had hated Christ, those who had wanted him dead, and even Satan behind the scenes, unseen, had saw to it that everything humanly possible was done to keep him from coming out of that grave. And yet today, we come to the day in which professing Christians all around the world are joyously, and rightly so, joyously celebrating, in my opinion and the opinion of many others, the most significant thing in Christianity. For a sacrifice and a death, even substitutionary as it may have been, and it was, if that's the end of it, and we serve someone that's still in the grave, we have no hope. We have nothing beyond the grave. But we celebrate the most significant event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As we have just read in Matthew 28, verse 6, they found this. He is not here. He is risen. And praise God for that event. What a glorious event. What a significant announcement that he's not there behind the grave. And by the way, it wasn't the earthquake, I want you to remember that, that moved the stone. Scientists would love that. Oh, no, no, no. The scriptures are specific. The angel rolled it away. And by the way, if it hadn't been rolled away, it wouldn't have made any difference anyway, because that would not have concealed him. The tomb is empty. We serve a risen Savior. We are the only ones that can say that. There is no religion on the face of the earth, none, barring none, that can turn around and say they are serving a risen Savior. They might have other gods that they turn to and so forth, but none who can say that. Certainly with the evidence that we have, I will just read to you very briefly from Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 where it says this, and to these, the apostles, he also presented himself alive. And it didn't end there. After his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of those things concerning the kingdom of God. After the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, he didn't just disappear so no one could see him. There are many infallible proofs. It's interesting to even look at the writings of the historian Josephus. I've often shared that with the children in school, where Josephus refers to the resurrection of Christ historically. Amazing. You can look that up for yourselves, by the way. And you find out that the evidence was overwhelming as Pastor Chris prayed. At one time, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to 500 people at once. And by the way, this is significant. And it says that most, that would mean to me mathematically, in my small brain, that that's at least 251. That it, most of them were still alive at the time of the writing. 
That's significant, folks, because if anybody claimed it today and you were alive and knew that it was not true, you'd be the first one to call up the source and say, that is not so, I know. But those who witnessed it and touched him and saw him were still alive when the apostles were writing and no one disputed it other than those who did not want to believe that Jesus Christ came as the Messiah. Our Savior is alive. We have a living one who, according to the book of Revelation, who was dead and is alive forevermore. And praise God for that. Don't, that, don't ever, Christian, let that slip away from being precious to you. And yet, as we celebrate that, and it is tremendous, and that's why we're here today, is it not true that there are doubters? There were doubters back then as to, first of all, the resurrection of Christ, as there are doubters today. There have been doubters back then as to whether or not there is even a resurrection of anybody, as there are doubters today and in all probability in this room who are doubting that there is even a resurrection from the dead. That's interesting. Why? Because while that is true and we recognize that there are those who doubt, is it not interesting that man throughout history has anticipated and even prepared for the resurrection. Really? Yes. Consider for one moment this morning. Is it not true in ancient Egypt that we can go back and read the history and we have still, as the graves are being dug up, we see that there was tremendous embalming that took place. And when the pharaohs and important people were buried, what often happened? They would bury them with valuables. Why? So that they could take the treasures for the next world. In fact, in some cases, they buried people with them, did they not? Who would serve them in the world afterwards. They, in fact, buried animals with people back then and weapons to prepare them. There's one indication that one of them was buried with a boat so that as he was into his world afterwards, he could use it to, as a means of transportation. And we can go back in history and find out culture after culture after culture that would prepare and anticipate a resurrection. Isn't it not further interesting to you, and it should be, that both religious and non-religious alike pray to the dead if there's no resurrection, what are you praying to the dead for? Isn't it interesting that many people pray for the dead? Why is that if there's no resurrection? And by the way, I'm not approving of those things. I'm just having you think of the reality, the way man doesn't want to believe these things, and yet what he does. Is it not interesting that throughout time, man has seeked to communicate with the dead? Well, if there's nothing beyond the grave, what are you seeking to communicate with? These are all true facts. 
Isn't it also true, you say, well, I haven't done any of those things, that built within the heart of man, everyone, even those that doubt, is a sense and a curiosity about life beyond this one. Whether that be elsewhere or a life to come. And as I said, we can go into the most remote, primitive, and the most sophisticated and advanced places of society today, as well as historically, in the cultures of the world and find a fascination with the after-death world. I find it interesting. Here's a quote I'll give you from Benjamin Franklin. Ever hear of him? In 1728, Benjamin Franklin wrote his own, by the way, it's a mock epitaph. It is not on his grave. Many, many have misquoted this. It is not on his grave. His grave is simply his name and his wife's name. But he did write this himself in 1728, and here's what he wrote, interestingly enough. And I quote, the body of Benjamin Franklin, printer. And then in parentheses, he wrote this. Like the cover of an old book, its contents worn out and script of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. Yet, the work itself shall not be lost. Listen to this. For it will, as he believed, that is Benjamin Franklin, appear once more in a new and more beautiful edition, corrected and amended by its author, end quote. Interesting. And what I'm trying to point out to you, there have been doubters throughout the ages. And yet, it's interesting, all of these areas that we find the fascination and the interest into resurrection after the dead. Well, in our text this morning, you might find it an unusual text for Resurrection Sunday. But in our text this morning, we are confronted with that very thing. What? Doubters. People who did not believe in the resurrection of man, and it exposes the absolute foolishness by biblical definition, probably stupidity and ignorance by blunt definition of man. In this context, you can look at it, verses 23 forward that we've already read. Let me give you a little background. The Lord Jesus Christ was nearing his crucifixion at this stage. He had already been tested in verses 15 to 22, so I don't go back too far. He had already been tested by the Pharisees, another group of religious leaders. And he had been tested in relationship to the idea of the coin, you know, should we give respect to Caesar and so forth. And that's when the Lord, after being tested, won that battle like he always does, in which he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God. Many people know that. Then we come to verse 23, in which he's now tested by, as you can see in verse 23, the Sadducees. Now, according to Josephus, who's someone I quoted already, who is a historian writer, Josephus says this, the Sadducees were literalists, the most extreme literalists in relationship to Scripture, and extremely intolerant and vicious. They were the ones that controlled the temple and operated the priesthood. They were also wealthy and were pro-Roman. They were pro-Roman more than they were even their Jewish. 
It's interesting because Lewis Johnson, some of you are familiar with him, Lewis Johnson said this of the Sadducees. He said, they were the rationalists of the day. Now listen to this carefully. He said, everything had to fit into their theology. That's the way some people are today, by the way. If it doesn't fit into their theology, they'll make it fit. That was Lewis Johnson that said that. They were the rationalists of that day. They had to fit everything in or else they would not believe it. And obviously from verse 23, what did they not believe? It says who they say is there is no resurrection. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believed that it ended at the grave. They were even in contention with the Pharisees who had just tried to question the Lord and will question him again beginning in verse 34 of this text. It's interesting because we as finite beings are trying to determine the infinite with our finite brains. That's rather interesting. And some come up with the concept that when we die, there is no penalty, there is no reward, that that's the end of it. You know what that is? That's no motive for living, by the way. And the only motive that you can have after that is to please yourself and nobody else, and there should be no morals at all. You shouldn't be concerned about making anybody else happy if that's the way you really believe. Also, what happens with individuals is if I can't, and that's where they were, if I can't fit it into my thinking, then it doesn't exist. That's a fool. There are many things that don't fit into our thinking or that we can't understand, but they are true. Well, to show the foolishness, I just want to deal with a couple of things. In Romans chapter 1, verse 22, it tells us that men profess themselves to be wise. We are saturated with that today. People explaining themselves as being wise when they realize they have a finite brain. And God says that when they profess themselves to be wise, we become fools. And the evidence of that is right here in verses 24, by the way, through 28. And I want you to look at that. I won't read it again. I will summarize for you. These religious leaders who knew the scriptures, they thought, well, and thought they had everything fit into their theology would not believe the resurrection because they couldn't fit it in, even though they had the Old Testament. And they kind of restricted themselves to the first five books. And so I want you to catch this. Based upon Deuteronomy chapter 25, they have an argument for the Lord. So they use the scriptures as their argument. And it was a law that had to do with the husband and wife and the family. And you can read it there. You get the, the idea, even if you're not familiar with it. If someone died and did not leave any children and there was no offspring, then the brother was to take them and so forth. And that was to preserve the name of the family. That was to preserve the inheritance intact. And when they looked at this, they couldn't fit it into, obviously, a resurrection. What was the problem? They were looking in verses 24 through 28 as the resurrection in terms of if I can't figure it out, it can't exist. They were trying to do the infinite and get it into a finite mind so that they could understand it or else they wouldn't believe it. And I want you to listen to this because in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to read something to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this. It says, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Listen. This is why I have the idea of foolishness. For they are foolishness to him. 
When man looks at the things of God, it appears to be foolish to him. Why? This is what we don't get. He cannot understand them. And this is the reason why, because they take spiritual appraising. In other words, we need an infinite mind to understand infinite things, and if we can't fit it in, the natural man, that which is born of the flesh, refuses to want to believe it. It appears to be foolishness to him. Man basically thinks that he can stumble a sovereign God. Man basically thinks that he can figure God out. That is absolutely impossible. I want you to look at two verses, uh, two passages. Go with me to Isaiah 55 for a minute. And that's where these religious men were. These were intelligent human beings. These were religious leaders, these Sadducees. These were people who were well-educated. And because they couldn't fit it in, they felt it was the end of the discussion because they didn't believe it and refused to believe in the resurrection. And in Isaiah chapter 55, I want you to look at verses 7 through 9. This is a little humbling. Let the wicked forsake his way, verse 7, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. You say, but I don't even know if he exists. I don't even know if there's a resurrection. Keep going. And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Really? Why should we return to him? How about verse 8? Reason 4. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's pretty humbling. Put very simply, and I can't better that, but what he's saying is you cannot begin to think in terms of an infinite God and figure him out. He either reveals to us what is true and we accept it or we reject it. But our, our thoughts are not higher than his. Romans chapter 11 puts it this way. That's the second passage. Go to Romans 11 for a second. So even though the Lord Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and he would rise from the dead, the Sadducees would refuse to believe in the resurrection. But in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and 34, Oh, the depth and riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Verse 34, great question. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor. By the way, the answer to that is no one. Man thinks he can figure out God and he puts God in a little box. I got news for you. You don't even have assurance of your next breath because it's in God's hands. God is the one who's determining things. He's the one who's sovereignly watching over things. And because the, the Sadducees couldn't fit it into their theology, they thought that there was no resurrection even using the scriptures with this Silly argument of theirs. By the way, we had already learned in John that a man must be born from above. Why? This body has been equipped for this world. That's why we're able to get by in it. When it comes to the resurrection, this body is not equipped for it. We will see that in just a minute. We have to be equipped for it spiritually. But the problem comes up in verses 29 to 33. Look at our text back in Matthew 22. And here we see the wisdom of God. He says in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You 
are mistaken. These are intelligent beings. These are religious leaders. These are the ones who had everything figured out, and if it didn't fit in, they were militant and driving everybody, you have to believe my way. That was the Sadducees. And they missed the boat altogether with scripture. Why? Because he said, you're, you're off course. You've wandered away. That's what that means to say that they're mistaken. What was it that they were missing? Two things. Not understanding the scriptures, and secondly, the power of God. They thought they were brilliant, but they didn't understand two things. The scriptures are the power of God. In other words, they did not rightly divide the Bible, nor did they understand the sovereign God. Why is that the case? He explains them in reverse order. He deals first with the power of God. In verse 30, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Now how does that help us? They missed the point regarding the resurrection. Marriage is for this life, and I'm glad it is. It's a great thing to have a marriage relationship, and it's for this life. But the angels are also immortal, unlike us. They do not die anymore. They do not populate. You can look at Luke 20 on your own and see that. It expands on that. And when it comes to our bodies, when it comes to a resurrected body, it hasn't got anything to do with marriage. It's a different body. It's a body that is equipped for heaven, not for this life. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning in verse 35. It's the same thing the Sadducees were saying. He says this, but some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what kind of body do they come? You notice the next two words, the Lord's very blunt. You fool. You think you're smart. But remember, the wisdom of man is foolishness with God. He said, you think you shut me up by saying, how are the dead raised up? He said, let me give you an illustration. Watch this. Verse 30. Six, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Boy, how I rejoice, by the way, side trip, that the resurrection and the celebration is in springtime because the Lord demonstrates it to us all when we see new life coming out in the spring. Isn't it true? He says, use a little common sense here. Look what he says. That which you sow, verse 37, you don't sow in the body, which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps the wheat or something else. But God gives it the body just as he wished, and to each seeds a body as its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one of man, there is another of beasts, there is another of birds, there is another of fish. He says, look around you. A body is different from a man, different from a bird, different from uh, another animal. It's different when you put a seed in the ground, you put a little seed, then a flower comes forth, or fruit. He says, you understand that. Then why do you have a problem with the resurrection? Verse 42, jumping down. And he talks about the stars of heaven and the moon and the sun in between. And he says, look at all the evidence. In effect, verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown perishable body, raised imperishable. This one is a not, not equipped for eternity. And if you think it is, just wait till you get to your doctors. You'll find out it's not. 
Just wait till the next pain that enters your body. You will find out that this body is not equipped for eternity, but the resurrected body is. He says this, it is sown in dishonor, verse 43, raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, we know that. It's raised in power. It is sown, watch this one, in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, as there is also a spiritual body. Just like with a seed, there is a seed that goes into a ground and a flower or a fruit that comes out. This body goes into the ground and there's going to be another body that comes forth. You say, well, then it's just a spiritual body with no... Wait a minute, the Lord Jesus Christ was able to be touched. He was able to eat. He was able to converse. However, the resurrected body was now equipped for heaven. These men were foolish. They were thinking in terms of the physical body. God's power is beyond all of that, folks, and that's what he's addressing. They didn't understand the power of God. Let me put it to you very simple. If God created everything and he did, and man battles with that one because he professes himself to be wise, if God created any, uh, everything, is it any surprise that he can take a body out of the grave and raise it gloriously? That's nothing to God. Listen to the words of Spurgeon. He says, we believe that in the resurrection there is a perfect identity of the body. You may call it unphilosophical, if you please, but you cannot show me that it's unbiblical. Science cannot demonstrate it, you say, but then I say this, science cannot disprove it. Interesting. The power of God is seen in Colossians chapter 1. Would you turn there for a minute? Colossians chapter 1. The Sadducees, who knew some scripture, didn't understand the power of God. You know, man, while we're turning to this, man has created in his own image what he thinks God is like. We were created in the image and likeness of God. God is an all-powerful God that's able to create anything instantaneously out of nothing, and he is able to take a dead body and call it out of the grave. You can't do it, I can't do it, but God can. Why is that? Colossians chapter 1, watch this, verse 16. For by him, it's actually referring to Jesus Christ, the invisible God, verse 15, by him all things were created. Now you may choose not to believe that, but you're wrestling with God. How all things? Explain it, okay? Both in heaven and on earth. Both things that you can see and you can't see, visible and invisible. Whether they be dominions of rulers or authorities, even the spiritual world? Yes. All things have been created. Why? By whom? By him. For what reason? And for him. How does this world hold together? Why is it that the planets don't smash? Why is it that we just are able to kind of float in the universe? Why is it we don't fall off the earth? You say gravity. Really? No. You say, you're saying gravity doesn't exist? Of course it does. Look at verse 17 though. And he is before all things and in him all things are held together. That is the power of God. Resurrection is nothing to him. Let me quote from Spurgeon again. He said this. Listen carefully. Though bodies may be consumed in the fire or ground to powder or sucked up by plants and fed upon by the animals or made to pass through 
10,000 changeful processes. Yet difficulties, there are none when there is God. He that gave us bodies when we had none can restore those bodies when they are pulverized and even scattered to the four winds. That's the power of God. That's who rose from the dead. Not only did they not understand his power, they didn't understand the scriptures as I wrap it up. The scriptures confirm the resurrection, verses 31 and 32. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, back in Matthew 22, you have, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. The scriptures made it very clear. And by the way, he quotes from Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6 there. It's right from the Pentateuch. It's right from the books of Moses. And it's the emphatic I am. It is the present tense. The Lord God is alive and is always alive. He is the living God. And he says, I am the God. God is living. He's not dead. But it's not just that. A lot of people put the emphasis on the living. But it also needs to be put on the genitive that's used here. He says, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Why is that important? That he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had all died physically. They had been dead. Is he just saying that they're still alive some spiritual way? No. What do you mean, no, Pastor Dan? What comfort would that be to the Sadducees? That you know I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and they, they have died, but you know they're living someplace. That isn't going to prove anything with the resurrection. He made a covenant with every one of them. And if he made a covenant with them, he is still the living God, and the promises that he made are continuing on. And when he talks about them being in, it's not just that they're alive now. Everything that God had promised them, God is always alive, and they're continuing. How do you know that? Turn with me to one more text on this. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see this. This is the significance that it would have to a Sadducee. When he said, I am, it's not just that he's presently living. When he said, I'm the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, it's not just that they died and they were alive someplace. It's that they were going to rise again. How do we know that? Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place, watch this, which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he went. By faith, he lived as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents. And Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. There's a connection. For he was looking, watch this. Who was he looking for? For the city which has foundations, who architect and builder is God. Then it talks about Sarah. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. And I want to get down to verse 16, so jump down to verse 13. And all these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, 
for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And then he says this, and indeed, if they had been thinking of the country from which they went out, they would not have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire, watch this, a better country, that is a heavenly one, therefore God is not ashamed to call them their God, for he has, watch this, prepared a city for them. They were looking beyond it to the resurrection themselves. They didn't even benefit from all of it. And he says, I am the God of the living, and those who know me are living as well, and they will live forever in a heavenly city that God was yet to bring to pass. All the promises would be fulfilled. All of them. When it comes to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to the resurrection of man, the scriptures are clear. All will come forth from the tombs. John chapter 5, verse 28. And it's all made possible by the resurrection of Christ. To some men, that's still foolishness. To some men, when you talk about one way, listen, in the year 2009, we are living in a world that is pluralistic. We are living in a world in which everybody wants everybody's ideas. Well, everybody does have ideas. My ideas aren't important, and neither are yours. You know whose ideas are important? The one true living God. And he says even the gospel is foolish. But yet God has decided to use the gospel of Jesus Christ. The concept of one leaving heaven and coming to earth to take on flesh in what we know is Christmas. And then to grow as a man and go to a cross of Calvary and to die on the cross of Calvary as the penalty for sin. Why? Because all men are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. Why? Because there's no man that's righteous. No, not one. No human being is righteous. We are all unholy and incapable of saving ourselves. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He came into the world. He grew as a man. He went to the cross, and he said, it is finished. He bore the wrath and the penalty of Almighty God for sin. And then he rose victorious over the grave. To man, that is foolishness that there be only one way. But God put it this way. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for the word of the cross is to those who are perishing. They don't think they are. But to those who are perishing, foolishness. But to those who believe, to those who are saved, it is the power of God. And he goes on to say, where is the wisdom of man? And he goes on to say, man professes himself to be wise, but he's foolish. Man does not want to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the one way to satisfy a righteous God, that he is the only way to heaven. But man is going down a path that's wide and is leading to destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to salvation, and it is only through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by him. Turn with me to the last passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we come and celebrate the resurrection, the Sadducees who were, quote-unquote, wise, smart, religious, knowledgeable of the scriptures, but couldn't fit the resurrection in, they were fools. 
It does not change the fact that Jesus Christ would rise from the dead. It does not change the fact that there is a resurrection from the dead because God, who is above all, says there is. And as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just jump down very quickly to verse 20. Don't you love these words? But now Christ has been risen from the dead. The evidence is overwhelming. We rejoice today because not that Christ hasn't risen. It says before that, if there's no resurrection, your faith is useless. You're going to die in vain. You ought to be pitied. But it says Christ has risen from the dead, and these people had witnessed it. But notice this, verse 20. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Is there any doubt in your mind that all men are going to die? That you're going to die? Of course not. How did it happen? One man. Then why should you doubt that there's a resurrection? Because it came also by one. For as in Adam, verse 22, all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ is the first fruits, and after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Have you come yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, religion is not the issue. It doesn't matter what Fellowship Bible Church thinks. It doesn't matter what Pastor Dan thinks. I want you to understand that. I grew up Roman Catholic. It doesn't matter what the Roman Catholics think. It doesn't matter what the Baptist thinks. It doesn't matter what Buddhists think. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. What matters is what God knows and what God said. And it is God that said, I loved you. I sent my son to take on flesh, to go to the cross, but he couldn't stay on the cross because the grave does not have power over God. And Christ came forth. And those who have trusted in Christ will rise with him to eternal life. And if you want a picture of what your body's going to look at, we already looked at it, but look again in verse 42. It is imperishable. It is one of glory. It is one of power, verse 20, uh, 43. It is a spiritual one, and it's a glorious one. It's incorruptible, and it fades not away. Why? Because Christ is risen from the dead. They could have put a thousand soldiers next to that stone. It wouldn't matter. Christ came forth from the grave. But as I quoted John earlier, all will come forth from the grave. You can sit here today and say, I don't believe in the resurrection. You know what? That isn't going to change the fact you're coming out of the grave. You say, but I don't believe in Jesus Christ. That doesn't change the fact that you're coming out of the grave, just as it doesn't change the fact you're going to die. However, if you haven't died with faith in Jesus Christ, when you come out of the grave, you're going to be equipped with a body that's equipped for eternity, but equipped for the pains of hell. This world does not want to hear about hell, does not believe it's a real place but it does not change its reality. And all will come out of the grave, some unto the resurrection of life. And the only ones that will come out to the resurrection of life are the only ones that will take God at his word who created the whole world when God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is the one we need to believe in, the Lord Jesus Christ that you should be saved. It is only found in him. 
I quoted Spurgeon. I'll end with a quote of Spurgeon. Listen, fellow believers, it's quite encouraging. Here's a quote. But courage, believer, Spurgeon said, your body shall rise again. Laid in the earth it may be, but kept in the earth it cannot be. The voice of na nature bids you to die, but the voice of the omnipotent bids you live again. And he will call us forth, and we will live in his presence. Because our Savior has risen, we too will rise. If you're here today, you might be celebrating Easter with family and friends, and that's wonderful. You might be eating candy and things of that nature, because that's usually associated with Easter. Hunting for eggs or stepping on them or throwing them away if you don't like them. Whatever it might be. But if that's all you get out of Easter, you've missed it, folks. Because there's not a person in this room, young or old, that will not face the grave. Oh, you can go on believing, like the Sadducees did, that there is no resurrection. But remember the words of the Lord to the Pharisees. You fool. You are mistaken. You know neither the power of God nor the scriptures. For there is the power of God that gives life. And it is the power of God that gives eternal life. He gave us life the first time and is capable of doing it the second time. And the scriptures reveal not only that there is a resurrection, but the scriptures clearly reveal that the only ones that get the resurrection to life are the ones that come to the Father through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Come to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole Passion Week and everything to the cross and the resurrection wasn't just so that you could have a nice holiday. It was a picture of Christ's love. It was designed so that you would look to the cross and look to the grave and the Son of God and believe and have life. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for a glorious day such as this. And oh, how the Sadducees do represent to us the thinking of man, who when it doesn't fit his thinking, rejects the truth. Yet it never changes the truth. And while they misunderstood the power of God and the scriptures, there could be many here in this room today that do not understand the power of God, that do not understand the scriptures, not see any need to believe on the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, to see the need for eternal life, and yet, Father, there's not a person in this room that does not realize that they're going to die. Father, the only one that's able to give life is the one that gave it in the first place, and that's you. And it is your choice that you've done it through your son. We thank you and praise you that you sent your son. We thank you and praise you that he did go and he did take up the cup, go to the cross, and when he was done, said that it was finished. We thank you that the stones, the soldiers, not anyone both as a human being or in the spirit world could hold him from rising from the dead. And we thank you that he is a risen Savior. We thank you that you are a risen, living God. And that, Father, all who come through Jesus Christ 
can call you Father because you as the living God are the God of the living, the ones who have eternal life. Open up the understanding of those who do not believe yet. And for the Christian, I pray that you'd help us to rejoice in the significance of this day and everything that it means to us, not only a risen Savior, but the hope of a life with you for all eternity in a body that is equipped for heaven to be with you. We pray these things and thank you for it in Jesus' name.